All right. Hello, everyone. Great to see you all. And a quick question. Uh, are you guys here because you want to find out what on earth a service mesh is or why you should even care about it? Because then I have come to the right place because I'm here for the exact same reason. I have no clue either. And on that note, we shall begin. You know, I really like uh, famous people and famous quotes, so I'm going to start with one. A famous person once said, I have a dream. Well, ladies and gentlemen, I too have a dream. And since I come from the tech industry, in my dream, in my beautiful dream future, as one of my coworkers likes to say, software development is easy. I think today, developers are spending way too much time doing non-core things, what I consider to be uh, peripheral concerns. In my dream, operating our environments is not as complex as it tends to be today. And in my dream, fewer people are getting more done in less time. Now, wouldn't that be awesome? As a famous person once sang in the movie, uh, My Fair Lady, wouldn't it be lovely? Well, you may ask, Arjit, what's stopping your beautiful dream future from becoming reality? And I would say, you know, sleep deprivation, of course, but also a state of service mess. And let me explain what I mean by that. If you look at any microservice-based cloud-native environment today, it's kind of complicated. Uh, you know, there's clouds and, and elastic services, there's third-party services, virtual machines, containers, serverless, your own code. It gets to be much. And writing code for such an environment or operating such an environment is not easy. Another famous person once said, I moved from monoliths to microservices so that every outage could become like a murder mystery. And there's something true about that, you know? So what can we do about it? Well, I really think service mesh can help us here. To me, it represents a paradigm shift. It's a modern tool for the modern age. And over the course of this talk, I'm going to try and show how. So let's begin. But of course, we'll start with the best part, speaking about myself. Uh, I'm Arjit Mukherjee. Hi. Uh, I'm CTO at a company called SignalFX. And SignalFX provides monitoring as a SaaS service. And I've been doing this monitoring thing for many years now. Uh, in fact, more than almost 12 years. Uh, I helped build much of Facebook's monitoring systems back in the day. And lately, I've been interested in one thing, which is, you know, we have lots of very powerful tools. And I want to explore the intersection of the power that they bring, as well as the complexity that they bring. The question is, like, how can companies take control over that complexity and continue to move fast, right? And that brings us to the topic of today's discussion. Here's the agenda. Uh, there's a couple of things that I want to mention as we get started. First, this talk is not about a specific mesh technology or details about it. This is more about mesh as a concept, what it is, what can it do for us now, and what are some of the things it might do for us in future, right? The second thing is the area of monitoring is close to me. That's my background. So we're going to discuss mesh and monitoring, because mesh is going to affect monitoring in a big way, in a positive way. So let's get started. What is a service mesh? Well, if you look at the definition, it's an infrastructure layer for service-to-service -service communication, right? And since it's taking care of the communication, it can make that communication observable. It can make it manageable and controllable, right? 
But the way I think about service mesh is that it's a happy marriage between a proxy and a policy. And I'll explain why. But the important thing is it's a happy marriage. So if it's a if, you know, famous Jedi master from the movie Star Wars were to say, may divorce be with you, that would not be correct at all. <laughs> so let's consider two services or two microservices. They want to talk to each other. If it was the early days, you know, the days of 2001, a SaaS odyssey, what might they do? They might just talk to each other directly by you know, IP uh, address or, or domain name. Uh, the human, if humans were communicating, that's equivalent to me picking up my phone and direct dialing a friend of mine, right? Now, if you have to talk to lots of services, or nowadays these services become elastic, so the membership keeps growing up and down, how do you find people? So we discovered or we invented service discovery, right? Where every instance of a service, when it comes up, says, hi, uh, I'm here ready to serve service X, so that calls can be routed, and when I go down, I will deregister. Again, the human equivalent is like a telephone directory, which is how we find people. Now, with service mesh, what we do is we add a layer seven proxy between this communication, which means the microservice is not talking directly. It's sending its request to a proxy, and the proxy is then sending it onwards, right? That's the idea, and the proxy is layer seven application aware proxy, and I'll explain what that means later. Uh, Again, in human terms, it would mean that I have, let's say, an assistant who's taking care of the communication on my behalf. So he is making the calls or sending the messages. And when you have that setting, obviously you don't want to look up somebody's phone number first and then ask your assistant to make the call. They might as well look it up themselves. So service discovery also gets done by the proxy itself. What that really means is me as a microservice, I now do not have to deal with many or any aspect of the communication. I don't have that headache. I just outsourced it to somebody, right? And <clears throat> this path, this path where the requests are flowing, this is called the data path, right? And there's more to it than that. A famous person, again, once said, put a ring on it. And we all know that Beyonce knows a lot about rings. And that's the idea. You put a layer, you put a proxy, sorry, you put a policy layer that controls how these proxies are behaving and that controls how the communication is happening, right? And that is called the control plane. And that's really all. Like service mesh fundamentally is a very simple concept. It's a very powerful concept. Here's another way to look at it. So let's say you were deployed in a service mesh environment. Uh, you would have your you know, applications that are running on hosts or instances, what have you, perhaps in containers, and they are all speaking to these proxies, and then the proxies are obviously talking to each other, as well as to a policy engine. Now, why is this such a powerful concept? Why is everybody so excited about it? It's because Mesh allows us to have intent-driven operations, where my wish is my environment's command, in some sense. Let me explain why. So let's look at some of the common use cases. These are things that service mesh and proxies can give us today. The first one is error handling. So if the proxy is taking care of all the requests on my behalf, then it can also detect when one such call failed. And if it failed, well, it can retry it on its own without me having to tell it anything, right? So error handling is something that's very easily handled by proxy and service meshes. All this while, our developers were not having to deal with any of that headache. They were working on their core concerns, right? Another use case is load balancing. Another famous person once said, you get a car, you get a car, everybody gets a car, right? And with 
service mesh, what happens is everybody gets a load balancer. So instead of load balancing being just a edge concern, where it's only happening when the you know, user's requests are coming into my environment, now every microservice to microservice interaction can be load balanced. Again, without me having to do much while my developers are writing core code. Request routing is sort of associated and similar. If the proxy is aware of the kind of requests that are going through, well, it can do smart things about it. For example, let's say you have platinum and gold customers. Well, you can make requests from platinum customers go to less loaded tiers, for example, to give them a higher quality of service. Or maybe you want to do that when your CEO sends a request to sort of impress them. But the idea is that you can route requests in interesting ways, again, without developers having to write code specific to that. And finally, security. Now, all of us, you know, SaaS is taking over. We all have to do a lot of security. What if my environment could authenticate everybody that's trying to speak in my network? What if my environment could transparently encrypt all service-to-service -service communication, again, without developers having to deal with it? So that's really why Mesh is awesome. It provides us quite a set of very interesting, powerful functionality, and it frees developers from having to deal with them, right? And this is the reason why this is quite an active area right now. There's a lot of open source as well as commercial solutions that are trying to play here. This slide is by no means exhaustive. And I expect this to sort of accelerate uh, in the coming future. So what got us here? Um, you know, Mesh is based on certain best practices and principles that I think uh, mirror what we learned from the networking domain as they invented something called software-defined networking and intent-driven networks. So what are some of those lessons and best practices? The first one is you standardize on a simple architecture. So think about it. Today, most of the communication that happens is I think the code, the communication code, is still part of our application binary. Perhaps it's happening through a library, but it's still part of my code. What that means is, if I'm in a polyglot environment, I have to write that same communication library in whatever number of languages that I'm using. What that means is those libraries might perhaps will differ in the kind of functions they support or the way they behave or the errors or bugs they have. If I want to make any change to my communication code, I have to push my application itself. And if I want to configure my communication to be a certain way, well, I have to go and individually configure N services, which may want to be configured in different ways. So that's not really a great way of being. What we do with proxies and, micro and service meshes, we take out that communication library or code itself and make it into an independent binary, an independent service. Now I have solved all the problems that I described earlier. This service is one service, so every language has the same, quality, same you know, features that it gets from it. It is independently pushable, and it's now a single service that's simply configurable. So that's number one. The second thing is that you replace humans with bots. A famous bot once said that humans are slow, humans are inconsistent. A bot is not, right? And that's exactly true, is when we are dealt with a complex, a dynamic configuration problem, we should use automation. And automation will give us two things, right? First is the configuration will be uniform. So now every single proxy, every single service will communicate in a uniform way based on my desires. And secondly, it's fast, because now when I go and you know, I change my user intent, perhaps, I can go and update the policy engine to push a new type of configuration, and that's going to happen really fast. 
That's very nice. The final lesson from, from the networking domain is to sort of observe the environment on an ongoing basis and react to that. This is a very, very powerful concept. I'm going to spend a little bit of time discussing what that means. Think about it. Every system has really two types of state. One's the uh, desired state, which is how do I want it to behave? How do I want it to be? And the other is the discovered state, which is what it really is like, right? And someone, again, someone famous once said, you know, east is east and west is west and never the twain shall meet. Uh, it may not be that bad, but in general, desired and discovered states don't always match. And if we could detect what that difference was and react to it, that's a wonderful thing. And the way you find the discovered state is you have a monitoring system that's observing your environment, that's looking at performance and gathering telemetry. And you use that to generate feedback. And that, to me, is key to us realizing the potential of service mesh. Getting that right means service mesh is going to do far more impactful things than it can do today. So let me explain. Feedback is just fantastic. And what we can do with this feedback is we can have what's called a closed-loop automation, a way to run workflows, where not only do I configure something based on my intent, I'm able to keep that intent alive because the system looks at how things are going and reacts to continue to make it work that way, right? And this, in my mind, is key to why service mesh will take on even more powerful, even more different use cases. Uh, things that are nothing to do with the communication and, or encryption aspects, like it's going to go far more high level. And just to make the point, I'm going to discuss four different use cases. How we can get better at code deployments, how we can better at you know, running or operating those deployed code, how we can get better at testing, and how you can do monitoring better. Okay, so let's get started. The first thing is code deployment. So, you know, lately, you know, canary deployments and blue-green deployments are, are very common design pattern that a lot of companies are using. Uh, you know, in canary, what we do is, let's say we have to deploy a new version of a software. What we will do is we will start one instance, maybe, or two with, with the new version. We will see how that's doing. And if things are going well, we can upgrade the rest of the cluster. With blue-green, what we do is, we start an entirely new tier serving the new version of code, and then we push some button to suddenly route all the requests from, from old green to the blue. And then we wait. We see how things are going. If the service continues to run well, well, that's great. We can shut down the old version. And if it does not, if it's not doing well, then we quickly cut back. The idea is to reduce the time when things are in an impaired state, right? However, I think the way it is in most organizations, this is not fully automated. There's still probably a decent amount of human interaction that's still going on, and that obviously slows things down. What if, what if we could automate the entire deployment workflow? What if we, as operators, would express our intent in the form of a workflow which describes how the deployment should happen, and then it takes care of it on my behalf, without my involvement? So for example, in case of a blue-green, here's how an you know, algorithm might look. The system would route x percent of the traffic, let's say, to the new cluster. Then it would wait. It would get the metrics and telemetry from the monitoring system. 
It would use that to determine, are things going okay? If so, it would deploy X percent more and so on until the push is done. Otherwise, it would quickly roll back, again, without me having to do anything. And that is very, very powerful. Now, this is not a pipe dream. Like, features like this are already being developed in some of the service meshes, and I know for a fact that some large tech companies in our space are already have moved to a deployment model like this. So stuff like this is coming, and it's going to make us all far more efficient. Let's look at sort of runtime behavior optimization. So I already you know, discussed you know, errors and, and circuit breakers, or maybe I didn't discuss circuit breakers. Circuit breakers are a concept where, let's say I have you know, n instances of a service that you know, people are sending requests to, and perhaps some of them, maybe two or three or whatever, are not working well. So maybe they're you know, impaired. They're send, uh, responding, taking longer, or perhaps failing requests. Well, since the proxies are making the calls on my behalf, they can maintain telemetry and metrics around how things are going, and they can intelligently stop routing to those impaired instances, which is a pretty nice thing to have. So that's called circuit breaking. We could do that. Finally, let's say you know, you're a you know, cash-starved startup, and near the end of the month, your CEO comes and says, hey, you know, we are spending too much money. All these network bills are sort of shooting through the roof. Is there anything we can do about it? And for the most part, the answer might be no. Either we cannot do anything about it, or we can, but it's, it's going to require us to go and develop a bunch of software. It's going to take, I don't know, a month, so which really defeats the purpose to begin with. What if, I think, if you were in a service mesh environment, you would have the ability to maybe make a configuration change that would cause the proxies to start selecting. So when it's making a call to, a, let's say, a microservice, it would select instances to call that are closer to me from a network point of view, perhaps in the same region or the same availability zone or so on. That would instantly start saving me network cost. Perhaps I might sacrifice some performance, but it would start saving me money. Alternatively, if I wanted to optimize for performance, I would choose the ones that are probably responding to me the fastest. More than the example itself, the ability to quickly and through configuration make these kind of macro-level changes in the environment, that I think is transformational. That is one of the reasons I'm excited about Mesh. Let's look at testing, chaos engineering. Chaos engineering is getting a lot of traction nowadays, and I think Adrian Cockcroft did a great talk yesterday. It's a good thing. It's justifiably getting attention because doing chaos in our environments actually makes us better. The high-level idea of chaos is that you do not wait for errors and problems to happen. You cause them yourself to see how you react, how your organization reacts, and then based on that, you, you know, improve your systems, improve your uh, operations and whatnot. Part of the problem why I think Creos is not as widespread as it can and should be is because there is still a level of friction. Uh, we have to do a lot of work to sort of deploy chaos in our environments. And again, I think service mesh can help in that. It can aid in that. Because think about it, the proxies, because they're in the middle of all my communication through all my systems, it is an awesome platform for simulating errors. It can simulate errors to a specific host. It can simulate you know, errors, X percent of all requests would fail. Or it could simulate errors on a particular customer or a region. If you want a region failure, maybe a configuration change, and all calls to that region instances might start failing. It's really a really excellent platform for simulating errors. And the second thing it can do is, with the concept of workflows, 
it can actually run chaos experiments, which is one of the things that chaos does, where you run these experiments to see how you're behaving. Mesh can help run chaos experiments to workflow because it is exactly the same as the blue-green example I told you, where the system would perhaps start simulating a specific type of error, then it would wait, it would see the, how the, the monitoring system is thinking, look at the telemetry, and based on that, it would either decide to call that experiment a success because everything continues to work fine, or if it's not working fine, you quickly roll back and you open a case for some developer to do something about it, right? So that's chaos. A quick bit of trivia, though. Do you know the tech company that's most famous for blue-green? It's Algae, of course. <laughs> Sorry. Uh, so, so that's my point. Uh, Service mesh, I think, is going to become a platform. And by a platform is by something on which we build these valuable other things, like we build buildings on foundations on platforms. This ability to run workflows, et cetera, is going to allow mesh to solve, to address higher order use cases, things that are even more valuable. And I'm going to do a little bit of crystal ball gazing, but in general, I think there's going to be some amount of a uh, lot of action happening in this space. Lots of projects, companies, et cetera, will start. Over time, I think there will be some amount of uh, consolidation, and a few platforms will win, the ones that support better, higher quality use cases. And that's going to be good for all of us, because if I'm a smaller startup that wants to build services on top of Mesh, now I have a fewer set of them to sort of build on, so innovation will speed up. At the same time, us as users and operators of services are going to benefit greatly too, because now if I deploy Mesh, if I choose one of those winning capable platforms, then I can get access to so much more functionality than what we were used to be able to do, right? That is the key. So instead of me buying N different tools across N different areas, if I can consolidate some of them, and if I could just use them, choose them easily, deploy them easily, that is very, very powerful. And that is the promise of Service Mesh. So now I'm going to take a long look at Mesh and monitoring. As I mentioned, Mesh is going to affect monitoring and perhaps in a pretty big way. So to set the stage, uh, we think of monitoring as consisting of uh, three pillars, so to speak. They are metrics, they are logs, and there's APM and traces. Uh, metrics are the most uh, lightweight. Uh, those are the things that, you know, is cheap to produce and store. Uh, these are the things that I push, uh, put on dashboards. Uh, these are the things I set up my alerts on. Uh, these are the things that give us an overall sense of, you know, how my environment is doing. But they don't give you the detail. So if I knew, you know, some type of errors, the number of them was going up through the roof, well, I would have to look at a log, perhaps, to find out what that specific error was, what that call stack was. And so that's where logs come in. Logs are good for forensics. Finally, uh, APM and traces, they help us understand transaction flow in our environments. And that is key for triage and troubleshooting. So when I have a problem, when I have an issue, how do I quickly troubleshoot the root cause and stop it from causing problems in my environment. So that's where APM sort of helps. And mesh is going to affect all of these in a pretty big way. Let me explain. So one of the challenges with monitoring in general is that 
it is as good as the instrumentation, right? So if I instrument my code well, will I get lots of interesting metrics and, and logs and whatnot? And if I don't do it well, then it's not great. And that is a problem. It depends on the sophistication of the organization, of the engineer, or what have you, right, on time. What Mesh can do is it can give us pretty wide coverage on a lot of things for relatively low or no cost to us. Because it is looking at every interaction between microservices, it can actually generate telemetry on my behalf. What that means is I'll get broad coverage on some very important aspects of my operation, right? That is really a good thing. The second thing it does is it actually also makes it of a high quality. It sets a high bar on the quality of that. What do I mean by that? It's because now that I'm able to look at all the communication, I can actually generate a pretty good set of telemetry associated with them. I could generate what are called the red metrics, the rates or the number of calls, E for the number of errors, and D for duration, so the latency that those calls are taking. Those are red metrics. It can generate logs when, let's say, exceptions and errors happen. And it can also generate traces to track the transactions that they are flowing through our system. right? And that's the promise, is that now that I have a proxy, if I am deploying service mesh, not only can I have it generate that interesting telemetry, I, it can also be used as a vendor-neutral concentrator of that information. So if my containers, if my application infrastructure, code, whatever, they're generating monitoring data, the proxy actually can be a way for place for me to send them, and then it sends it to whatever monitoring system I may have of my choice. That is fantastic because what it does is, in a way, it allows mesh to improve itself, right? Because you cannot generate high-quality feedback and react to it unless you have a good, solid base of data to base the feedback on. And Mesh is actually allowing us to get better quality data so that it can get better at the higher-order things. So this is kind of, again, what I mean to show the picture I showed earlier. Here I have you know, user intent configuring my environment in a particular way, but it doesn't stop there. My monitoring system is now looking at my environment, seeing how it's behaving, finding that delta between discovered and desired, and then using that to generate feedback, which goes back and does policy, right? So what kind of monitoring system would we need in such an environment? What kind of monitoring system can work well with a meshed environment, can observe a meshed environment, and can generate the kind of feedback that you might need for a meshed environment? Well, there's multiple aspects to it, because you know, monitoring is kind of hard. On the infrastructure side, you need to support diversity. Like, Nowadays, environments are very, very, very diverse, as I explained earlier. And the other thing, the environments are also very dynamic, because you know, instances, elastic services are scaling up and down, containers and serverless lambdas are popping up and down. You have to have dynamic configuration, otherwise you might catch things, it might not catch things. And then you also need high resolution, because things just move faster now. On the application side, you will find one of the very, very important key things to have is the ability to look at data in different ways, through different dimensions, so to speak. You might want to track performance by you know, software version or, or region or by a customer. So the ability to do that is very key. Other thing that you need is infrastructure correlation. A lot of your application problems are going to happen in the infrastructure, right? And how would you debug or find the root cause of certain problems unless you are able to go from your application down, so maybe through your 
container to your instance to perhaps even the network or Amazon or what have you. You need that infrastructure correlation. That is one of the key requirements from, from the application point of view. The monitoring system itself, well, nowadays we are throwing unprecedented volumes of data at our monitoring systems. Like companies with 10,000 servers, maybe there aren't much of them, but companies with 10,000 containers, many, many, many more. And so the systems need to be highly scalable. Uh, they need to allow us to look at the data through different ways, as I mentioned. And going back to the murder mystery earlier, when problems happen, if I have this highly connected, whatever microservices-based system, finding problems is so hard that it would be great if the monitoring system were able to give me some hints, some guides towards where to look. Because that will help us quickly identify the problem and reduce MTTR, right? That's the, really the name of the game nowadays. But how do I generate high-quality feedback uh, for that environment? Well, first of all, we need to be able to look at all the data, right? I cannot generate feedback overall with, unless with, if, if the data is siloed. So I need, excuse me, high-quality feedback uh, that I should be able to, uh, sorry, uh, high-quality analytics that can look at all this data. Timeliness and interactive. Note that now we are replacing humans with bots. Humans maybe take minutes to react, but bots can work in seconds. So when I'm running that blue-green deployment, when I'm running that chaos experiment, I don't want a bad situation to linger for too long. That is not great, right? So we need to be able to react very quickly. Timeliness is very important. And of course, I mentioned workflows. All of these systems need to be able to programmable. Like a thermostat which tells me or beeps when the temperature that I want is different from what it's observing to make me go and twist the dial, that's not a good one. One that can go and automatically change the setting and turn on my heater, that's what we want. So we want programmability. So what do we at SignalFX think about service mesh? A uh, few things. As I mentioned, we are a vendor that provides monitoring as a SaaS service. And our unique proposition is we have an end-to-end streaming analytics pipeline, which is sort of unprecedented. It's one of our unique values that we provide, and I'm going to explain why that helps. In general, though, we are sort of aligned philosophically with many aspects of it. For example, we also believe in uh, open source. Uh, we are members of the Cloud Native Foundation. We are actually putting our money where our mouth is. We are contributing to the CNCF. And from a monitoring perspective, what we are doing is we are making sure that we can integrate with all the ways that a mesh environment can generate telemetry from, right? And this list of projects obviously keeps growing and changing over time, so we will keep that up to date. Finally, again, as I mentioned, mesh promises to unify the today the different pillars of monitoring. We are actually very excited about that, and we believe in that too. And I'm very, very pleased that you know, we can announce at this conference, couldn't find a better venue, of a SignalFX microservices APM solution. What it does is it allows you to look at transaction flow in your environments, and it ties it closely to metrics. So again, it's based on open instrumentation, so it can take in all the data that a mesh can generate. It looks at a, we have a, what's called a no sample architecture, which means that we look at every single transaction, and we determine at the end of the transaction whether it was interesting. Let's say it had an error or it took longer. And we can do that because we are tightly coupling it with metrics. So every transaction, every span has metrics which baseline how it is expected to behave. And based on that, we can determine 
uh, whether uh, something was interesting or not. And finally, because we now understand the dependencies, because now we can do data science, we are able to give you hints uh, when a problem happens, right? So again, a quick recap. It's a very diverse system. It supports all the environments. Uh, it has auto-configuring uh, agents. Uh, we have high resolution, rich metadata. We have really good infrastructure correlation where you can take application metrics and correlate them with the infrastructure that they're running on. Some of our customers, in terms of scale, are storing billions of time series with us. So scale is there. Uh, as I mentioned, we have dependency of our MTTR and triage too. Analytics is one of those things that, again, we specialize in. Uh, our analytics is built in a way that's composable, that's programmable. So you can take different components, different types of analytics, like you know, uh, averages and percentiles and historical comparisons, and combine them together to build uh, what we like to call KPIs, or key performance indicators. Those are the kind of things that you want to use to provide feedback to your system. In terms of timeliness, because we are end-to-end -end streaming, we can get two to three seconds of latency between a signal and an event or an alert that we can write, uh, which is awesome, especially when bots have taken over the world. Right. So enough about signal effects. Let me talk about or uh, show you a quick demo of what I mean. So I'm going to show you a quick five-minute video. The idea is to sort of highlight two things. One is, what if I had a feedback-driven loop that I've been talking about? How can that be awesome? How can that help us? And the thing that I'm going to demonstrate is exactly one of the ones I discussed earlier. Let's say I'm doing a code deployment that's managed in a, in a workflow. So that's number one. And the second is, as I mentioned, Mesh is combining uh, the different aspects of monitoring together. What if I had a good system that could you know, combine, let's say, transaction analysis to the environment with metrics? How might that make our lives easier? How might that make us able to debug problems faster? Okay? So hold on, let me one second, and let me set up the uh, video. So what we're going to see here is a standard application. In this case, it is running on three containers. And we have a bunch of infrastructure and application metrics that you can see, right? They're streaming by every second. Uh, we have different ways of looking at the data. We are tracking latency. We are tracking things by customer. What we're going to do now is we're going to deploy a canary. So that's the use case we're going to have. The canary is a new, say a new version of a service that these guys are running. So what we're going to do is the canary is going to replace one of the containers that's running and replace it with the container running the new version. And of course, in this case, that's not going to go well. So let's see how that happens. So we just you know, push this button, which is going to go deploy the canary. And as soon as that happens, we get an event that, hey, a canary push happened. So we are able to see the events. And you can see that you know, a new container got started, and one of the existing ones on the top left got shut down. And this canary is not doing well. So you can see the number of requests that are being processed by it is going down. The latency is going up. And as it happens to be, Huli, serves them right, are having problems, right? And 
If there was a human involved here, it would have taken us minutes to figure this out. But now we don't have that. We can have automation. So let's say a monitoring system is looking at this. It can quickly generate an alert that tells me, well, there seems to be a problem. And that's what's going to happen right away. So this, this alert that got fired, it tells me that, look, it's using an algorithmic outlier. So it says, well, one of the containers is working different than the others. And it happens to be the one which says canary is true and happens in happening with Huli. So we have quickly identified that there is a problem and where the problem is. Once that happens, though, we don't need humans to react. That event can trigger, again, a workflow, a process where now I automatically roll back that issue, roll back that canary, replace it with something that's working fine. This end-to-end -to -end took us less than a minute, right? And that's the point I'm trying to make is once we have the ability to do workflows like this, like we can get orders of magnitude faster and better, right? So now let's say you know, this happened, problem went away. Now I want to know why the problem happened. So one of the things we can do is we can start looking at all the transactions that were flowing through my environment when that problem happened. And now, again, we are now obviously seeing a map of all the in services and the interactions that are going on because we have visibility into transactions. But there's more than that. There are metrics that are tightly coupled with those transactions. So for example, here, we are seeing some of the metrics that are being automatically generated from those transactions by the services. These are the kind of things that meshes like Istio and you know, Envoy, they can already produce today, right? Not only do we have per service, we can also have per interaction. So if service A is talking to service B, how does that look, right? Now, in general, though, it's one thing to look at the whole environment. That's not interesting. We probably want to investigate a particular service. Again, by having traces and metrics tightly coupled together, you can drill down by similar means. So in this case, we have chosen an analytic service to look into. The map obviously re-renders itself. And now we see more metrics associated with that flow. We see the number of errors. We see the number of uh, actual requests that went through. We also see latency distributions, because chances are I want to investigate the things that take longer, right? And obviously, all of this is based on the trace data that a mesh can generate. And that's what we're going to see at the bottom of the screen is this number of, for example, transactions, how long did they take, and you know, them grouped by perhaps the list of services that they went to. But now, let's say I wanted to go and debug the problem that happened earlier, which I have, let's say, I happen to know happened in a particular endpoint. So I could go and do further drill down. I could go and say, well, I want to look at this signal flow socket dot execute function. And let's see the traces that are associated with that. So now I see even more further. So progressively, I'm shrinking my view. I see that, well, uh, there were a bunch of requests that took long. So let's look at the traces at the transactions that happened with that kind of latency. And now we're going to see a bunch of them. Many of them were errors, because the long ones tend to be the ones that fail. We're going to look at one that took, let's say, six seconds, probably the longest one here. Now we're looking at a single specific transaction flow in the whole environment. I see the services it went through. And you know, services are fine, but typically services have many, many, many interactions or spans. So let's go down and loop by operation, which is sort of similar to a function. And once we do that, we quickly find that this analytics job start, the one that took almost the lion's share of the six seconds, was the cause. So now I can ask my developer, please go look at that function and figure out what you want to do about it. So this really shows, again, the power of having 
integrated monitoring. This, to me, that's why from a monitoring point of view, I am very excited about what Mesh can do for the cause of monitoring. Going back to the uh, presentation again. So, you know, it's great and all, but obviously there are some risks. Mesh is not perfect. There are some things that you might want to watch out for. So what are some of these? A famous person once said that with great power comes great responsibility. And that is the case for Mesh too. The fact that we can quickly and easily make configuration changes that affect my environment in a big way is something to be also afraid of. Uh, we should be careful about making those configuration changes. And one of the ways we might deal, about, deal with it is by having better processes, better workflows for doing change management. Right? Uh, this is, again, not a unique problem. We have seen this before. But this is something that is very, very important in the context of Mesh. The second one is, let's say the Mesh software itself has problems. Let's say there's a memory leak or some kind of other problem. The fact that it's deployed everywhere means that those problems are now going to affect all my services, all my communication. That's obviously not great, right? So we have to be very careful about change control and making sure that we are deploying stable software. Uh, sorry. Uh, the other thing is security. So let's say you know I was a hacker, and I wanted to hack your environment. Well, if I knew you were using Mesh, then I would probably put all my resources to try and hack the Mesh, because then I would get all the interactions between all your services, which is like mana, right? And that's something to watch out for. But this is, again, nothing new, because we have seen these kind of issues with, say, a kernel, like a Linux kernel. So these are not new problems, but these are just things for us to be aware of. Finally, the fact that we have added these sort of two extra hops, uh, where you know my microservice now talks to a proxy, the proxy talks to another proxy, and that proxy talks to my other microservice, we are introducing more hops. We are introducing more latency. We are introducing more complexity, because now things can fail in even more interesting ways. Right? That is something to be kept in mind of. Although, like, frankly, especially in terms of the latency or extra whatever network cost, et cetera, it tends to be not a big deal, because for the most part, the proxy is co-located with my application instance. But still, this is something that we should be mindful of. So what are the return gifts? What do I want you to take back home with you, right? The first thing is you know, a famous person once said that rock and roll is here to stay. And just like rock and roll, service mesh is here to stay. Because just like rock and roll, service mesh solves a lot of important problems. I really feel that it is sort of targeted at some of the core concerns, some of the core challenges that we are having to face as we move to cloud native, as we move to microservices. So because of that promise, I don't think it's going anywhere. Secondly, it has enormous potential. And I hope I was able to show you some of that. We showed how you can make communication better, error handling better, security better. Not only that, it can start helping us with code deployments. It can help us with testing. It can help us with operating our environments. It's going to transform monitoring it gives me goosebumps thinking what are the other things that might happen down the line, right? Because this is very, very new. This is very, very uh, uh, a dynamic area where a lot of investigation, a lot of development is happening. This is the reason why we, as organizations and as operators, must plan for a service-meshed future. Uh, this is going to mature, and this is going to mature relatively quickly. 
And so if we are starting a new project that involves, let's say, microservices, if we are starting a new company that's going to do software like this, we would do well not to ignore mesh. We would do well to sort of consider it, keep this in our mind, and perhaps try to use it. Because again, that could pay rich dividends in the future. And finally, this is a call to action. You know, famous uncle, Uncle Sam, once said, you know, I want you. And similarly, mesh needs you. Uh, this is nascent technology. It needs our involvement to make it better. It needs our involvement to sort of help write some of the things that are going on. It, it is a chance for you to go and influence its development, to influence the kind of features that you want to see from a mesh environment. So please do get involved. I'm going to end with a sort of a final thought, uh, again, with the parallel to sort of the human communication and, and telephones. Uh, you know, when as telephony increased and mobile and whatever uh, communication got better, the West typically was ahead of everybody, right? So we had our landlines, we had our mobile phones, etc. And a lot of the third world countries never ended up deploying things like landlines. They just moved from no phones to mobile phones, and now they have as much of a spread of those mobile phones as anybody else does. So in a way, what they did was they leapfrogged from a less advanced state to a highly advanced state relatively quickly without having to go through all those motions, right? And that, to me, is the promise of service mesh. So let's say I'm a more traditional architected organization. I don't necessarily have to go through the whole path. Mesh allows us, by providing us these higher order features, to leapfrog our maturity and get to a far, far better state where we are sort of we are one of the boys in some sense. Like that is like fantastic. This is why sort of I'm very excited about service mesh. With that, I'm going to end. And uh, if there's any questions or comments, I'm happy to take them. Thank you very much.